Amen. Well, I hope you had a good start to the new year. I love the new year. I'm a planner by nature. And so a new calendar and new goals and new dreams, I'm all over that. Um, now, maybe you haven't mapped out your whole year yet. I'm, I'm done. I'm on 2017, baby. I'm, I got it mapped. Like, I'm not kidding. All the big stuff is, is set for the year. Maybe you're not that ridiculous um, and you're more chill. But either way, I want to say that this year as a church is going to be our best year ever. Like, I absolutely believe it. No hype, no power of positive thinking. I believe that this is our best year yet. And here's why I know this. Uh, at the end of the year in December, if you're part of our church family, we brought up my good friend, Pastor JP, John Paul. Remember him? About yay high, great laugh. <laughs> best laugh ever. And we said, you know what? On top of your giving, would you do something to help this school that we helped start? We helped plant the church four years ago in Arua, Uganda, and they started a school as a discipleship tool to equip families who are poor to get an education for their children. The school is on the church site, so it's regular schoolwork Monday through Friday, but with a Jesus focus. And so we asked you, would you give? Now, purposely, we did not tell you how much we needed to raise to get this started. We just said, by faith, do what the Lord calls you to do. And why do I know this is the best year ever? Well, we knew to get 150 kids to have their first term of school covered and uniforms and shoes and, and a, a chance to see the doctor and all that would be about $15,000 to get 150 children. That's like less than a term at a state school. Think about this. 150 kids for the first term. And so we didn't say it. I was hoping, like, man, if we had 5,000 raised, that would be incredible. And we'll find other ways to, to, to foot the rest of the bill. So you guys gave, and some of you weren't here the weekend that we asked you to give, and so the money kept coming in. What you didn't know was by the Spirit, the elders felt led on top of that to buy the piece of land next to their property um, because as the school's going to expand, the church is going to expand, we know in the next few years they're going to need more space. So by faith, we, we, we realize it's going to be about $7,500, so about $22,500, give or take, was going to be needed to start the year, school fees for the kids, and the land purchased. And as of the middle of the week, you guys had given $22,251.27. I know, which is awesome. That's on top, that's on top of the 10% that goes to Hear the Cry and the 10% that goes to church planting that you normally give. And I know that because you met the exact need for those kids and you've taken care of this church plant, that as God cares for them, he is going to care for us. I'm going to be there in about two and a half weeks doing a leaders conference for all the pastors in the Arua district and for the pastors and leaders in the Sorodi district. And we plan on taking a team this uh, end of July and August to Arua. And if you say, I gave to the school, but I'd love to see what God is doing, here's an open invite. You can apply online Right now, go to our website, go to sunsetajc.org, and right on the bottom, next to intentional, you can sign up by faith. What, why not take the chance this year to say, you know what, I want to give to God's work, but I actually want to see it. I want to be a part of it, and I want to challenge you early in the year to take a week or two weeks or three weeks or a month or six months, whatever God enables you to do, take some time, dedicate it now to serve the Lord in a foreign place. It will rock your world. And in this particular instance, you'll also get a tan and go to a game park. That's a side story. 
sweeten the pot. Anyway, it's January. You're not impressed. All right. So it's going to be our best year ever. Now, what happens uh, when a group like us commit ourselves to follow Jesus together in the new year? What can we expect God to do in the new year? I got a riddle. And I hope it will be a part of the theme for this month for you. We're going to talk about it for the next two weeks. So I'm going to throw it on the screen because it's a bit of a tongue twister, but we'll unpack it this week and next week. There are things you know, things you think you know, and things you just don't know. Write it down because actually I don't understand it and I wrote it, right? There are things you know, there are things you think you know, and there are things you just don't know. Now what does it have to do with the new year and what does it have to do with Acts we're in this long study in Acts, and it just so happens, just so happens, that on, the, on this chapter, we reach the beginning of the year. We're going to pick it up in verse 16, Acts 20, 16, and I want us to see how God can navigate the year, and you can be in tune to what God is doing in your life all throughout the year. What he wants to do in your world isn't a mystery. It's not just happenstance. There are things that you know, and there are things you think you're aware of, and there are things that God is just not going to tell you. And at the beginning of the year, we want to sort it out and figure out how to follow him by faith. All right, Acts 20, 16, and we'll unpack the tongue twister. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem. He had been in the province for some three years, and he felt God was calling him out. So as he's traveling, he specifically avoids a place. That's interesting to note. Uh, if, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So he's got a goal. He wants to go to Jerusalem, and he's got a date, a timestamp. And what happens? Verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent for F to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, Paul said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Pause for a second. If you've been with us, you realize that the church plant in Ephesus was glorious. God's power was at work, but it was gnarly. It was hard. He was opposed on every side. And the big disappointment is Paul's of Jewish heritage following the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, and the very people that were his colleagues now wanted to kill him. His best mates, so to speak. The people who he went to university with, so to speak. His people want to kill him. Why? Because he loves Jesus. So he's, he's, he's caught in the middle of a whirlwind. On one side, he's being beaten and accused and threatened. On the other side, God's power is at work. And that, isn't that life, right? It's not all good. It's not all bad. Most of us, we have a little bit of both. One thing that's going great and the rest is going to hell. Or most is going great, but there's this one thing I cannot control. So if you are there, you're exactly where Paul is at. Verse 20, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Verse 22, and now, compelled by the Holy Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, 
I consider my life uh, worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. We'll get to that in a bit. Paul knows God called him to Ephesus to plant the church. Paul knows that God called him to Jerusalem to preach the gospel and to strengthen the church. And now Paul somehow knows he's not going to see them again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So what I want to do um, this morning is to focus in on this encounter. This is the one speech in Acts. There are speeches all throughout. And Luke, who's a great writer, he tells a narrative, kind of third person. This is what happened. That's what happened. But then you get these snapshots all throughout the book where you enter into the story and you actually catch the lingo. This is the one time in the book of Acts that there is a speech to Christians. Most of Acts, everywhere else other than this chapter, you get speeches of the people of God to those who don't believe. You have mostly evangelistic preaching. You get how they share the gospel with the Jewish culture and with the not Jewish culture. Why? Because Luke's writing to people long after these events happen and he wants them to know this is the message you believed. This is the message that was preached, but one shot, a word in Acts to believers. And I believe that what we get here can be the roadmap for you and me as we think about the coming year, as we think about our life, and we think about the will of God and what God wants to do in 20. 16. It's going to take us two weeks to do it, but we'll just start here this morning. But with the snow, what the heck, let's just do the whole thing, and we'll have lunch and a campfire, okay? Anyway, maybe not. That's not legal in a room. Anyway, number one, write this down. There are things that you know. Look back at verse 18. There are certain things that you could be confident of. Verse 18, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came to the province of Asia. God has made some things crystal clear. There are things that are not a mystery. All of life is not a fog. There are things you can be confident about. Now, Paul had spent three years in this area, three years investing in the people all over Asia and specifically in Ephesus. And so what does he say? He knows they're not going to see him again. He says, remember what you know. You know how I live. That's the first thing he says. It's interesting. He doesn't say, this is what I taught. He says, you want to live for God? You can know some things. You know how I walked when I lived among you. And so Paul is not boasting. He's not saying I'm a super Christian. He's not saying I'm better than you. But look at what he does say. If you jump down, chapter 20, verse 33. Go quickly down to verse 33. If you want to know what Paul lived like, he actually tells them later in the chapter. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give 
than to receive. There are some things that you know to be true. And Paul, like, just brings the reminder. He was with them a long time. He repeated himself again and again and again. And he says, guys, when I was with you, I wasn't greedy. I'm not out for your money. How do I, how do I know that and how can you know that? I could have taken a living from the offerings that you give. It's my right. But no, I worked hard when I was among you. I provided for the needs, not only of myself, but my whole team. You guys ought to chip in to help cover our food and rent and, and our car expenses and all that it takes to live because we were living full-time for your benefit, but I didn't take that right. It was my right, but not among you. I provided for the needs of myself and my friends. And I'm only doing that, by the way, because Jesus said, and he quotes him, it's more blessed to give than receive. So what Paul reminds the church, and I want to remind you um, as we start the new year, is there are some things that you know. There are people in your world right now, when you look at their life, you see the evidence of Jesus. You see the evidence of the grace of Jesus. And there are some people in my world that I say, like, one day, if I could only live like so-and-so, I would be so thrilled. God, I want to live more like this person or that person. And I want to encourage you in the phonetic pace that we're about to jump into, because life is hard and fast, and before you know it, we're already behind schedule, right? It's like the third, and some of you are already like, I'm already behind. Before you get lost in the fog of day-to-day -day life, don't you forget there are patterns of living worth following. And so Paul says to the church, you know how I lived among you. And if you want to follow Jesus with greater passion, and if you want to see God work in your life, I would encourage you, find some people that have been following Jesus maybe a little bit longer or a little more fruitful than you have. And don't just learn some new things, but follow some new patterns. I've taken up running in the last few years, and I, I, didn't, I never did it growing up. It wasn't my thing. But the, the greatest tool for me is to find some people, and I've done it, find some people that are much, much faster and much better and don't get hurt as much, you know? And I've asked them, what do you do? And what do you avoid? Tell me your plan and I will copy it. Why? Because if it is working for you, it may work for me. And can I just say, in following Jesus, don't follow someone's sin patterns, duh. But where you see the evidence of God in their world, ask someone, what do you do when you're following Jesus? And you'll be greatly benefited from it. Now, at the same time, Paul had the right to receive an income. Look at what he tells First Tim uh, Timothy. First Timothy 5, I'll throw it on the screen. He says, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say, and then he quotes Two Old Testament passages, you must not muzzle an ox. So preachers are an ox. What a visual, right? To keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. So what Paul is not saying is, hey, I should come and provide for you, and that's just the way it is, and you should just milk off of me. No. Rather, he teaches that those who work hard in the church deserve pay, but I am not greedy, is what Paul is after. Follow my pattern. Don't be greedy as a church. When you think about your role in Sunset this year, can I just suggest, that's like a great pattern. In terms of what you plan to do or not do concerning the people around you, 
don't live greedy. Don't live for yourself. Don't see what you can get out of this church. What would happen if every single one of us came to the gathering every weekend saying, what can I give? What can I contribute? Not just, I'm not talking about money. We're not taking another offering. You're already ridiculously generous. We love you. What can you contribute to the well-being of the people around you? Who can you take to lunch afterwards? Who can you say, hey, let's meet up for coffee on Wednesday. Even though we just met, I'd love to get to know you and your family. Every one of us can live for others. You know how I live. Second thing he says is you know what I believe. Look at verse 20. Acts 20, 20. It says, you know, what I, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly, weekend gatherings, and from house to house. So Paul was already investing in their world and the Ephesians knew what Jesus taught because they knew it through the lips of Paul and his teammates. And so this is a good reminder. You can grow this year. You can grow. Maybe the last few years have been frustrating for you or maybe you've hit like we often do if we've been walking with God for a while. There's seasons where we just hit like a plateau, right? It's not like you're sinning more. You just have, you know, a decent amount of daily sin, right? We, we all do. So you're not like grossly in sin, but you're not progressing. You're not growing in your hunger for God and your hunger to serve and your hunger for the things of Jesus. Can I just suggest to you, you can grow because Paul says, I talk to you from house to house and in the gatherings. You can grow this year. And I would just encourage you, whatever it takes, Chances are you don't need to add something. Chances are in our culture, we need to subtract some things. So let me just ask you in boldness, what are you going to do less of this year? What are you going to cut out? What good thing, like life-giving thing, fun thing, is going to become less important because time with God is most important? At the beginning of the year, you need to know that there are patterns of lifestyle that you can pick up from other people, and there are also healthy spiritual growth patterns that you can pick up from other people. Make it your goal to grow. Now, because it's the first Sunday of the year, I feel it's my right and privilege to step on your toes. So let's just be blunt. Some of us will say, Jose, like, well, I, I don't know if I have time to really read the Bible. If you want to grow this year, I can tell you the 100%, this is not an infomercial, 100% guaranteed way that you will grow in your love for Jesus, it is put your eyes to the pages of Scripture. Guaranteed. Whether you speak Spanish as a primary language, German, English, French, it doesn't make a difference. What language you speak, if you want to know the number one way to grow, it is get your eyes onto what God has said. But we're going to face the daily battle like I am too busy to get in the Scriptures. Think about the number of hours we spend on entertainment. Can I just say, pay the stinking fee and cut your cable. Drop Netflix. Unsign. Sign, you can actually sign off of Facebook. You can, you can actually sign off of it. Whatever it takes. Now, are all those bad things? No, I have cable, and I glance at Facebook. I'm more of an Instagram person myself. But, but I, I, there's nothing wrong with those things. This is not a legalistic trip. But if you're finding yourself struggling with time for God, I can tell you, you have at least an hour in the day that's probably wasted on media. Probably an hour a day. What would it look like if you 
took 10 minutes of that hour and said, I'm not going to turn on that show. I've made it a practice, and I just encourage, this is so simple. When you wake up in the morning, do not open your apps. Open your Bible, unless it's your Bible app, <laughs> which I happen to use my Bible app because I like very dim lighting, cup of coffee, mood lighting, just the glow of my Bible app. <laughs> it's glorious, glorious. I, I don't read the news. I don't look at... I don't look at my, don't open your email. That will kill you. Don't look at the headlines. Look at the words of Jesus. And if you do that, my friend, you will grow. So start small. Can I just say this? Start, don't say, I'm going hardcore. Three hours of Bible a day. 10 minutes in, you will fail. But if you start with 10 minutes and you say, you know, I want to make it a goal to grow to 15 minutes with God. The key is consistency. It's not how much it's how often I spend time with God that's going to make the difference in your world. All right, so those are the things that we know. We know how Paul lived. We know what Paul taught. You know how to live a godly life. Just look at the people around you who are following Jesus. And you know what God has taught because it's in the Scriptures. That's what we know. Secondly, though, there are things you think you know. And this is where it gets tricky. Look at verse 22. Paul does not know everything with the same clarity. Look at verse 22. He says, and now compelled by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Okay, so God wants him to go to Jerusalem. Wonderful. Not knowing what will happen to me there. And this is what he does know, and it's kind of foggy. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me. How's that for like a lifestyle? God has to warn him. What? That prison and hardship are facing me. There's some things that you think you know. I want to focus on this. He says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit is giving me a warning. Now he says he's compelled. It's an interesting term. In our lingo, he would say, I am handcuffed by the Holy Spirit. I know that it's God's design for me to go to Jerusalem and to plant new churches and see the work of God flourish. But God doesn't tell me exactly what's going to happen every city. He only warns me, hey, it's going to be harder than you think. Don't forget this. God most often will tell you just enough to get you going. Isn't that good news? God's not going to tell you everything for the year. It's like, Lord, brand new year. I've read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I'm on track. You know, I'm going to make it through Genesis. I promise. Exodus, possibly Leviticus, not a chance, you know. But we're there like, oh God, show me your plan for the year. What are you going to get? More than likely, you're going to get just enough to make you excited and nervous. That's God for you. There's some things that you know. There's some things that you think that you know. And I'm here to tell you that's okay. As we plan for the year, as we think through our, our calling for the year, don't look for absolute clarity in all things. That's not the way God works. God gives us enough clarity of the next step because those who walk by faith reap the reward. So God wants you to follow him and faith is going to require you knowing some things for sure. Jesus' plan for your moral character, how to live a godly life, absolute clarity. It's not foggy. What do you do on Monday in the office when someone asks a spiritual question that you can't answer? God gives you just enough to say, I'm with you this morning. And then he's with you in the moment of your need. 
God tells you just enough to keep you going. So part of my role here, which is tricky, is to kind of cast the vision on behalf of the elders. I, now, it's not my job to make up the vision for the church. Be careful. Any church you go to where the pastor feels his job is to tell you what to do. That's just weird. But it is my role on behalf of the team of elders to kind of discern and then let you know what we think God is doing. So my job is fun. It's, it requires praying and seeking God and then talking to the godly men and women in this church and getting kind of a sense of what God wants to do. So let me give you an example. We have felt for a year that we were going to move to two morning gatherings. This didn't just happen. We've been planning this for a year. But when do you do it and how do you do it and when do you announce it? And is it 1130 or 11? It's 11. It started as 1130 and then we realized, no, 11's Mo better. It's 11 is a better time because a lot of you thought 1130, no way. So 11 suddenly became a lot better. Discerning the will of God is very curious. <laughs> so it, it requires adjustments. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, I don't know what I'm going to do. So, so here's the great part. I'm saying in the vision 9, 11, 6. What's going to happen? I have no idea. I know by our survey, the majority of you said 9 o'clock. Does that mean no one will be here at 11? I don't know. Like, we don't know how it's going to pan out. But don't let your uncertainty about some details stop you from following Jesus. We've known that God is going to bring more people. We know that God is bringing more people. Therefore, we make decisions with absolute confidence and humility. <laughs> and are we afraid to change? Absolutely not. Paul, in his journeys, is always changing, and we as a church will always change, not because we're change freaks. We are freaks, but we're not change freaks, but because we believe that as God is moving in the moment, we need to adjust with him. But just think about how we started the gatherings. If, if you're new to the church, which most of you have been here a year or less, let me retell you the story of how we got here. We were praying at the Luis Palau office Four and a half years ago, we had no idea where to go, where to gather, when we were going to start. We just prayed. We asked you to pray. God created a space for us to meet. Within a month, I walked into this building that another church was meeting in. They were meeting Sunday mornings. And graciously, they said, hey, we only meet here on Sunday mornings. If you want to start your gatherings at night, you're more than welcome to come here. Here's the key. Wow, that's amazing. I never thought of churching, starting a church at night. So I went to all my friends, and it was like a 50-50 split. Half were like, go for it, man. It's amazing. I was like, don't start at night. It's going to kill it. It won't work. So we fast and pray and think and dream, and we realize, you know what? This is God's place for us. Even though another church meets here, we can only meet here at night. It's going to be really hard. Let's go for it. And God blessed. You don't always know its specifics. You know enough to say, God I'm going to trust you and you launch out in faith. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story. We wanted to start a morning gathering for two years, but we couldn't because there's another church here in the morning. So we began to fast and pray and say, God, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And uh, Phil Comer, who's going to lead the intentional conference, told me, Jose, talk to Liberty High School. I'm like, I'd already talked to Liberty. They said no. He's like, go to him again. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. No faith. We prayed a little bit. Went in. Totally, you can meet here. I'm like, what? And God opened the door and we were at Liberty. We had a one-year stint, a one-year allowance to be at Liberty while we found other places. And so we met at Liberty. We, we just knew enough to step out in faith. We didn't have it all figured out. It was some confidence and a little bit of blurry. We're not sure how this is going to work out. 
I looked at more than 50 properties in this area. So expensive commercial property around here for a church. I'm like, kind of getting discouraged. I'm like, the clock is ticking. We have no place to meet soon. Like, you know, and I'm the vision caster. So when in doubt, smile. <laughs> the things are great. They're going great. So, uh, so then I call out of the blue. The church is meeting here in the morning, decides they're not going to meet here anymore and are wondering, would we want to take the whole thing? Now, if we had not taken the step of faith to be here at the beginning Sunday evening, they would not have come to us to take the whole thing. Do you get my point? We didn't know that liberty was just a sidestep to actually come back here, but be here all day Sunday. And so it goes at the beginning of the year. There's some things you know with confidence, but there's some things you're just not sure about. So here's, here's the bottom line. God makes some things clear. When God does that, please, please, please write it down. When you're in your time with God and you get a sense, a verse, a thought, and you feel like this is God's word to you, write it down. Why? We forget. And it's not just me. We forget too quickly. What would it look like if you just had one Evernote or one note or one piece of paper and pen or whatever you do, and, and you just made a note in 2016, I believe, God, and just put what you think he said, right or wrong, who cares? Just write it down. And then the date. I believe that God impressed me that this verse I need to live out or impressed me that I need to take action at this part of my life. What would it look like? You got a new chance. It's a small step, but a healthy step because some things, secondly, God leaves some things foggy. And God will always do that and it's for our good. This isn't God playing with us. This is God lovingly show us how to follow him. Some things are clear. Some things you, you barely know or know in part. And the third thing, there's some things you just don't know. Acts 20, 22. Now compelled by the, uh, the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me. You know, the outcome is ultimately in God's hands. And so when I think about our church and what we engage in in the coming year and kind of how to cast that vision, here are the best guesses I can give you. Because some things God just does not say with absolute clarity. Some things you just don't know. We've stepped into a new year. Here's what we think we know as elders. And I ran this by all of them. We all are in one accord. That this is for us a season of growth. What does that look like? I have no idea. But we believe that God has positioned us for a season of growth. We think that God's going to grow our influence in the city. That we're going to have a greater voice to do greater good in the city of Hillsborough and across the Sunset Corridor. We think that God's going to give us favor. What does that look like? I have no idea. We think that people are going to come to us asking what should we do to take care of this need because you seem to be a people committed to people. Well, who's going to ask? I don't know but we just have this sense. We think God's going to bring people with unique skills that our church doesn't have yet. There's some things that, that you need in your life and the people are not here yet to provide for those needs. What are those needs? I have no, no idea. Who are those people? I have no idea. Do you see how confident I am? <laughs> this is so cool. I love it. I love my job. Best job ever. So, so, so what do I know? I know that God is with us. I know that God is about to expand what he's going to do, but I can't say with any certainty exactly when and how, and this is liberating. It's totally liberating. Now, for the Uber planner, this freaks you out. 
This is freaky for the, for the Uber planner and for those who are like, oh no, but I have to know, I have to, I have steps, I need them all. Following Jesus for you might be a little harder <laughs> because God's gonna give you some things of confidence, how to live for him, moral character, what your life is supposed to look like, the things you do and don't do. Those are, those are rock solid, but the day-to-day, how we live it out, some things, he's gonna say, go to Jerusalem and I will show you. Some of you aren't going to be here a year from now. Why? Because God's going to speak to you this year about, I want you to go here. And you're going to be like, no, not there. And he's going to say, yes, there. And you're going to wrestle with him and he's going to win. And you're going to go. And maybe we'll lay hands on you and send you out with, with joy. Why? This is what God does. Some things we know, some things we think we know, some things we just don't know. Now, that can be confusing. But let me just ask you, based on all of this, how do we do anything with conviction? right? If some of it is vague, actually most of it is vague, how do we do anything with conviction? Look at verse 24, and this gives us kind of the setup for next week. I just wanted to, I just wanted to leave you hanging this week because I love you, and maybe it'll be sleet next Sunday. We'll see if you show up. Um, however, verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me except the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Actually, I missed part, middle part of the verse. Let me do it again. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. How do we move forward based on what we do know, what we think we know, and what we don't know? How do we actually make any decisions? It's actually quite clear. Uh, one of the commentators, Daryl Bach, brilliant writer, puts it this way based on verse 24. He says, Paul is faithfully walking with God wherever it may take him. He does not need to be certain where he is going or what he will face to be faithful to God. He need only carry out his ministry. Isn't that so good? So because there are things I'm not going to know yet and something's going to be vague, what do I do? Paul doesn't have to know it all to be faithful to his task. So Paul says, I make it my aim. I know what my goal is. My goal, says Paul, is to preach the good news of Jesus. He knew clearly what he was called to do. Preach the good news, start churches, appoint elders, move on. And so until God said something else, he's going to be faithful to that task. So can I just say to you, if God already has you in something, be faithful there. If he puts you in a relationship, be faithful there. If he made you a parent, be faithful there. If he gave you a job or is opening up a new career door, be faithful there. Live faithful to Jesus where you are. If you want to know the will of God, that is the will of God for you. Live faithful where you are. Be open to new things. God may have new doors for you. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. He may say, stay. Either one is good if it's God-directed. So live faithful where you are. Now, just a couple of super practical things this month. Because some of you are like, I just, I want to take the time to seek God because I think God may be doing something new in my world. Two things are going to be helpful. One, there's an annual conference. It's put on by our dear friend of ours, Bill McLeod, called Mission Connection. It's being hosted at Sunset Presbyterian just down the road. It's January 15th and 16th. If you want info, it's online. Or there's like some flyers and papers on our welcome desk, 100 plus seminars, world-class speakers, communicators 
who are involved in global mission, local mission, all sorts of expressions. What would it look like if you just said, you know what, instead of going out to eat and sitting vegging in my PJs on Saturday, I'm going to take a day and a half, Friday and a Saturday, and I'm just going to listen to what God is saying to these men and women. Maybe God has something for me. Maybe it's simple as that. The intentional conference, the weekend after that, right here, if you are a parent, if you are a grandparent, if you will be a parent, if you know a parent, if you're breathing, you should be here. Why? Thinking about developing the next generation of Jesus followers in a passionate way is something that we're all called to. So whether you're an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, everyone has influence over someone younger than them and maybe someone older than them. And can we just learn together? Friday night and Saturday. Two opportunities this month that you can choose both or one or the other. Take the time and invest in hearing from God. Jesus may have new assignments, but for most of us, he's simply going to say, I'm with you where you're at. Be faithful. And in that, the end of the year will provide great reward. So, okay, how do we live this out as a church? Actually, Acts 20 tells us exactly how. Now, I can't tell you how to flesh this out in your world. What does it look like in your business, in your marriage? I, I, I can't do that. The Spirit of God is going to have to lead you. But I can tell you how we do this as a church. And for that, come next Sunday. Part two, we're going to look back at Acts 20. Because Paul tells the elders and the leaders in Ephesus, if you want to live a godly life together, if you want to grow together, you want to see a move of God together, do these things.